Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. All right, guys, today I want to have a discussion with you that's a little different from the last few episodes. We have been a bit, you know, COVID-centric, which I think the whole world has been. Uh, But we are going to go on a different tangent today, uh, which I think is going to be appreciated by many. We're going to cover off four things. I want to have a discussion about plateauing on your first mountain. I want to have a discussion of reinvention and the catalyst for change. I want to have a discussion of taking psychological value from pushing your body to unthinkable extremes. And I want to have a discussion on finding your center and your drive when all the traditional signals don't move you. And I want to have that discussion with a man by the name of Freddie Bennett. Welcome on the show, Freddie. Thank you very much, Steve. It is an honour and a pleasure to to be on the show. And I'm uh, I'm a big fan of this podcast. And this is uh, definitely a a personal highlight of mine to be here. Oh, great. And I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic discussion. Let's kick things off. You are not going to be known to many people, but you're story is very, very interesting. I'm not going to do you a disservice of even trying to cover it. So in your own time, let's take it nice and slow. Talk us through who is Freddie Bennett and give us a sense of the journey you've been on from corporate to something very different now. Absolutely. And uh, and, and you're right that um, in many cases, I didn't think that uh, that life was going to end up like this. And I, I found myself on on many journeys of uh, of reinvention certainly and if if i could start at the beginning i life wasn't as as i was as i would expect so you know i i, I grew up in the uk my my dad's dad uh, hailed from from the black country in birmingham and and he traded horses and he he sold horses to uh, to a group of of gentlemen that are today more commonly known as the Peaky Blinders, wow. and and if you can yeah if you can imagine you know growing up in in this environment and you know that that lifestyle should we say filtered down the uh, the generations in, into my family and it was growing up in an environment where everything was very unstable when you didn't quite know what was happening next and you walk into the room as a child one day and everyone's having a party and there's money on the table and life is good and then i remember as a child on on another day i'd be having bailiffs knocking on the door and my parents would be hiding behind the sofa and getting me to answer the door and growing up in all of this 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 discomfort, but also this this very unnatural environment of, of not knowing where you know where life was going to go next, and you know, dad, dad tried to, to to go straight as it was, and he was into computers, and he um he, he got a job uh, in in America, and this was kind of in in 1990, and he he had a business partner called uh, called Steve, and as a family we. We packed up all our house, moved across to America, and uh, you know, Dad started working with Steve. And Steve turned out to be Steve Jobs. And um, needless to say, things worked out a lot better for, for Steve Jobs than, than they did for my dad because we found ourselves back in the UK a couple of years later with with no home, no jobs, and uh, and no money. So we 
as a child being in this situation where I'd, I'd be at school and everyone else would be, you know, with you know parents that were were doctors and lawyers that had normal jobs that had a roof over their head and that they knew where their next meal was coming from and i had this life of uncertainty and and i thought well what what do i do with with my life how do i hold on to how do i reinvent myself as a person and try and hold on to some stability in my life and and i went to I did all the things I was supposed to do. I went to university, being the first person in my family to, to go to uni. And then I entered this corporate world. And again, because I felt that this was something that you were supposed to do growing up. And and I wanted that that stability of, of a paycheck and, and knowing where my next meal was coming from and, and paying the rent. And, and I went into the corporate world and, and I felt like an imposter. And being in, in, in the bright lights of London with you know, the, the skyscrapers and the glass buildings and the plush carpets. And I was in this world where, where everyone knew the right things to say, where they, you know, they, they knew about networking and elevator pitches and how to engage with the boss and everything else. I was just there on my first day of work saying, there's free coffees here. Can you believe this, guys? I can get a free coffee from the coffee machine. And, and everyone would give me this, this weird look. And, and to fast forward in the story, I, I felt like like an imposter for a long time and to to try and find my place in this world of work and again to, to be this person that everyone thought I should be and having to, to reinvent myself from this guy who didn't really know where he was in the world didn't really have a normal upbringing I had to turn into this corporate worker and and to do that I you know I, I partied hard I took all the the free drinks and the networking events to to a whole new level and 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 I created this persona of, of being this this fun time Freddie, this guy who was always good for a laugh, who'd be first in the bar, who'd be last to go home and late for work the next day and everything else. And, and on the outside, things were looking great. I was living the dream. You know, I was 30 years old. I had the Porsche on the driveway. I had the thousand pound suits, the, the big shiny watch. I had a young family at the time. I had the exotic holidays. But on the inside, I knew I was living more and more of a lie. And I was living this life of quiet desperation where I was seriously unfit. I was unhealthy. I was getting up to all kinds of no good, um, not only on the weekends, but most nights during the week as well. I was I was having a very low budget version of, uh, of the Wolf of Wall Street lifestyle. And I was becoming more stressed, more depressed, feeling more trapped and I knew that I didn't want this life anymore. I knew that I wanted to make all my crazy goals and dreams that I had as a child come true. And but I'd wake up every morning and look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what, this, this isn't the way that you thought life would turn out. But I thought, as I sat on the sofa every night, drinking my beer, eating my pizza, watching all these amazing adventurers on TV and all these explorers and all of these ex-special forces guys that are doing all these really cool things, I was just chomping away on my pizza saying, yeah, that's okay for them, but I can never do something like that because I'm too old. I haven't got enough time. I'm not fit enough. And I was making all these excuses to myself. And, and as I was making these excuses, I was getting more and more depressed and stressed and bitter with my life. And, and I didn't think that there was a way to change. And you know, I, I tried to embrace the self-help and the personal development world. And I, you know, I, I had the podcasts by Robbins and the books by Goggins, and I tried to feel the fear and do it anyway. And I really tried to practice that subtle art of not giving a fuck. And I tried all these different things, but I wasn't taking any action because it didn't feel relevant to me. And then, uh, one day my, my dad taught me a lesson and, and he, he unfortunately had to teach me that lesson by by dying very suddenly. 
planned and it was a, a day a few years ago I was at work hungover slumped in my desk moaning at a spreadsheet that wasn't doing what I wanted it to do and I was just saying you know there's no way life can get any worse right now and then I I got a phone call had to leave work with nothing but my office or my uh, my laptop bag jumped in a car drove 300 miles down to to see my dad and uh, and I watched him die that night and I had that that experience that we all hear about where you're having breakfast that morning and it's like every other day like you're stuck on that that hamster wheel just going through the motions bored pissed off stressed with your life but then that evening I was watching my dad die and that's what gave me the lesson to think that life is short that I can give myself one more shot one more opportunity to to really see what what I could be capable capable of and that's when I thought why not see what life is all about, Freddie? Why not try and disrupt your mindset, change your behaviors for good, and see really if you can make your dreams come true? Great. We are going to step into that next part in just a <laughs> minute, but let me let me double click into a couple of those. It's really fascinating. You covered so much in just a mm. short few minutes. Talk to me about what. So you talk about a corporate life which is paying well, that's mm. fun you've got the right personality type to enjoy it. Uh, you must have been good enough at your job to be earning a decent income. Yeah. So when you look at the moving parts, as you've described, was it a lack of appreciation? Was it a lack of gratitude? Were you being a bit, um, uh, I don't know, just like a bit petulant and going, "Can't? why do you not look at what you've got and and be grateful that many people don't have the things you have. What was what was you struggling with? Because the exterior view of what you've just said sounds quite attractive to a lot of people. Yeah, I and I that's a great question, and I totally get that. And I, let's be clear, it was, it was attractive to me, and I I'd be lying, and I in everything that I try and say, I try and tell it how it is without just throwing empty motivational quotes at people because that pisses me off so much. And and it was attractive, and. And I thought I wanted it so badly. I, I wanted the Porsche. I wanted the the suit. And and I thought all these things were were going to make me happy. And believe me, for for many years, I was one of those people. And you know, I'd, I'd listen to the millionaires say to me, "You know, money can't buy happiness." And I'd say, "Well, you know what? I'd rather be crying in a Porsche than uh, than you know, in uh, in a Fiat Panda or something like that." And and for for many years, that was my goal. And and I always took that mindset of visualize your goal do what you need to do to make it happen and and you can make that that dream a reality and, and that's what i did for many of the areas and and i think if i'm totally honest it it was a bit of petulance it was a bit of of trying to play the game and i believe that to make me happy i genuinely needed all of those material things and for me now i look back it was through a lack of confidence and a lack of self belief and i was thinking yeah I remember that that first day I got my Porsche and, and I was excited and I sat in it and I drove it home and I thought, huh, you know what? I've still got the same problems. I've, I've, I've still got the same worries and fears. And I wanted those things to show that almost to put a finger up to the world and say, you know what? I can do this. People have validated me. People, other people out there have said that, Freddie, you are good enough that we're going to reward you with a, with a bonus or a pay rise. And and that's what I was really trying to do. I was trying to fill that hole that I had in myself, that lack of self-confidence and that lack of self-belief. I was just trying to fill it with more and more material things. And, and when it wasn't working, 
I was almost thinking, well, what's what's broken now? Is it the system that's broken? Is it is it the work that's broken? Is it my boss who doesn't respect me? I was blaming you know, the economy, the company, the my clients, my bosses. I was blaming everybody for, for my own petulance and, and being a bit of a dick, to be honest with you. But what I wasn't doing was looking in the mirror and looking at myself and thinking, what behaviours do you need to change, Freddie? What aspects of your mind do you really need to disrupt to get that that happiness and that confidence that you're seeking so badly? And here's, here's a provocative question. Uh, I don't know if you thought about this, but was that journey not only worthwhile, but essential? And let me, let me kind of frame that. So I don't know if you've read a book, um, I forget this, uh, I forget the author's name, but it's called The Second Mountain. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but yeah, I'm aware of it. It is a fantastic book because it describes this first chapter of your life. And how Mm. old are you? Freddie? I am I'm 39 next month, scarily enough. Same as me, right? So oh, I'm, awesome. <laughs> and we followed a similar path by, by the mm. sound of things. Um, now, I would look back at my similar path and go, I was inappropriately materialistic. I valued um, earning more than most things and performing mm. well more than most things. And as a result, I accumulated those. Uh but now I'm a different person. Now I don't need the, you know, the fancy holidays that, you know, the, the, you know, the expensive, this, that, and other, you know, the flashy cars. And I look back and I almost scoff at old Steve and go, he was an idiot. Mm. But was I, was I an idiot or did I need to peak at something? Did I need to accumulate confidence, wealth, um, seeing the world through the lens of, peaking, right? Peaking, you know, in your career, financially, whatever it is, go, right, now I've, I've got to that, hit that mountain I assumed uh, was going to give me everything. And I'm looking across the vista and I don't see anything above. And this, it feels a bit lonely up here. And I actually ended up forcing myself to go hurtling down the other side of that mountain. Mm. Not because I, I, I was sacked, not because I wasn't good enough, not because of the opportunity just turned against me. It's because I walked away from it. And I walked mm. away from it because I realized I needed to build from the ground up again. I, I, I valued what came before, but ver, you know, version two or chapter two needed to build from that, but from the ground up again, as opposed to staying at this lofty position and not thinking there's anywhere else to go. So I've created a new ascent in my life by going back down, but now walking up a different mountain, which is more enjoyable. So the reason I load that up is just to ask you, you know, you talk about that being this relationship of kind of liking your corporate career, but also thinking it was a bit foolish. Mm. My question to you was, was it? And have you gained something from that? Whether it be wealth, opportunity, confidence in yourself, uh, lessons, knowing what it looks like to be there. So you know what mountain you actually need to climb up. Like, give me some sense as to what that relationship is with your kind of former Freddie self. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a it's such an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's always the that power of hindsight is uh, is a wonderful thing. And it, I think we talk about reaching those plateaus and, and reaching those mountains. And I I fully believe that if I hadn't climbed up to that first plateau, I wouldn't have been able to have the view and and see that that second one. It's almost like when you when you climb to the first top of a mountain range, and it's only when you get to that first peak. 
then you can look out and, mm. and see the next one that you want to go to. But, um, but yes, absolutely. And I think firstly, I, I'm not against the, the the corporate life or anyone that chooses to make a huge success of, of, of their corporate careers. I think many people are extremely intelligent, extremely talented and ex- damn good at what they do in, in the corporate world. And, and for a while, that's what I, I wanted to be. And, and that's what I wanted for my life. And, and in terms of, of what I'd gained, I agree. If, if I hadn't have had those materialistic things, if I hadn't have have been in that that high performing environment for for mm-hmm. want of a better phrase because this uh, being you know, working for these global companies being based in London flying out to you know to to the Middle East or the Far East or to New York or wherever it was it taught me a hell of a lot in terms of the way to communicate with people the way to to hit deadlines the the way to say you know it's if, if a client's paying you or if you're delivering a piece of work then then maybe you you know you can't finish when when the clock hits five and mm-hmm. and it did teach me so much about working communicating with different people and also really getting that 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 work ethic and and I fully believe that if I hadn't achieved what I achieved and I, I went up the ladder and got the promotions and, and and so on I'd always be wondering what if and I think if I'm and this is uncomfortable to say but if I was totally honest with myself I'd always be having not a chip on my shoulder necessarily, but certainly uh, you know an element of, of of envy or regret regret of of looking at people in that corporate life and thinking, well, well, could that have been me? Could could I have have had that success? Could I have, have done those achievements? And and that's why I feel like I had to go on that journey. And it, in terms, of, you know, in my role, what I did was I worked with global businesses to to help their employees change their behaviours and change their their habits and culture. And, and at the time, I, I did that because it was focused on people. It was helping people to to adapt and overcome their behaviours. And it isn't until I'm on the second mountain of my life that I can look back and and take all those tools and techniques and, and knowledge that I've learned and use them in a different way. But but I think that that challenge of of being what was I then? A 25-year-old, for example, of having to to present to, to the board of a global oil company or, or wherever it was. You know, we talk about stepping out of our comfort zones and and trying to get over that imposter syndrome. But there's no better way to do it than than in that corporate world in many cases, because you do have to to adapt. You do have to think on your feet. You do have to to find new ways of solving problems. And and I fully believe that if I hadn't had to go through all those things, it wouldn't have set me up for, for that second peak as well. And for, for many years, I say I was, I was happy. I was satisfied. It was only when I started to become questioning as to what am I put on my planet on this planet to do is my destiny is my future is my purpose mm. to be traveling around the world and not seeing my, my kids for, for days or weeks on end. It's only when I started to think about that, that bigger picture that I, I started to, to wonder, is it time to, to take that difficult path? And just as you did, choose to walk away and choose to, to once again step out of my comfort zone, but to really understand if there's something that you can do to reach more people and help other people fulfill their goals when they're climbing their own mountains. I honestly believe, Freddie, that you know life's one of chapters. Yeah. And you're on maybe your second chapter. And it'd be wrong of you to assume you're on your final chapter, right? I, I certainly hope I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what, what you've chosen now to be both pur- purpose-driven and, you know, fulfilling and exciting may only feel that way for a few more years. 
Mm. And then at some point, you may decide something else is needed. Like for example, putting out a, a potential, you may you may go back to the corporate world. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I don't know you enough to know whether you will. Or you won't. But at some point, you might find that an attractive proposition because you can partition the value you get from the corporate world, both you know the monetary value, the you know security, um, you know that 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 game of doing good work and having structure, the corporate world. Petition that and use it to leverage your skills outside of that, where your purpose still exists. But I think I. I guess what I'm saying is, and this is for for the audience, I don't think you have to necessarily choose and say, like you and I have done, walk away from what you have, completely blow it up and find you. Mm. You can do that. It may become, it may be a very expensive decision, has been in my on, on my path, absolutely. And it may not be necessary, albeit the space and time you get away from what you've had makes you perhaps appreciate its values more. And then you might be able to reintroduce it back in, in mm. with more balance and with more purpose in your step, whether it be within that space or outside of it. But I find walk, the walking away part for me, uh, probably the most um, self-reflective, honest time in my life because I had to mm. start from zero again. And that's hard when you've you've built up a bit of kudos around who you are. There's pride, there's ego that's inflating you. And then you just pop it, like, you know, pricking a balloon, right? No, I totally agree, and it's. Uh, I'll, I'll try and uh, I'll, I'll save my uh, my personal development soapbox to, to later in the episode. But there's, it's a really interesting concept because again, I, I was there as well when when, so you, you you don't get into trouble at work. You you know your performance is still good, but you start to have that question in your mind around you know is is there is this new chapter is this new dawn starting to appear and 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 I was there and and again you. You start to look around, and I'm a big believer that you you tend to to see what you're looking for. And and I was I was doing a lot of you know personal development courses at the time. I was reading a lot of books, watching a lot of YouTube videos, you know. And you hear all the stories about you know burn the boats. There is no plan B, and and I think a lot of the uh, the the gurus or or the motivators, as uh, as I'm using my inverted commas sign, which doesn't work well on a podcast, but it's it's always quite it's always a very glamorous and, and sexy message to give across, isn't it? Just just walk away from that life, you know, take the leap of faith, take the risk, and everything else, and and that's a, a one very empowering way of looking at it. But also, I like to look at things in the real world, and there's. It sounds very glamorous to say just walk out of that office door one day and don't look back and and everything else. But then in, back in the real world, when you've got mortgages to pay and mouths to feed and 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 everything else that, that's tied to this corporate world, and you you know you have the conversation with your boss and you say, look, I'm I'm thinking about this new direction, and and the boss says, well, you know, are you sure? Because we're looking at you for promotion next year. And then there's this and there's that. And you think, oh, actually, yeah, maybe I'll give it another year or another, wait to the next promotion or the next project or something else. You're very and, trapped, right? Yeah, you do. And, and I think it's, I'm so supportive of people that want to take that leap and, and follow their dreams. But I think it has to be done sustainably. And there's the biggest distraction, I believe, if you walk away from, from that safety net and you you want to follow your dreams, you can't give all of your energy and all of your focus and time to it if half of your energy is spent thinking, shit, how the hell am I going to pay the bills yeah. this month? I can't believe I've left the pension behind. All my colleagues are laughing at me. So I fully believe that it can be done, but it has to be done in the right way, in a sustainable way, in a way that 
not only helps you achieve your goal, but also means that you don't have to leave devastation and, and carnage behind you. Yeah, no, well said, well, well said, Freddie. Um, you, you've mentioned a few times now this um, uh, how self help wasn't really clicking, wasn't landing on you. Mm. Help, help, try and put some more words to that because I think a lot of people will relate. I know, I know people that are in my life that go. You just don't make any sense to me, Steve. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, you talk about these people have inspired you or you've got this kind of mindset, but it just ain't it ain't landing. It ain't landing mm. on me. It just it's either hot air or it's not relevant to me. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, and I've had people say this to me before, and I disagree completely. But in their eyes, Steve, you seem like super, you know, Superman. You know, mm. you're, you're too too many steps ahead of me, whether it be, you know, fitness or, you know, physique or, you know, some, some other choices I've made in my life and go, ah, there's no point starting because I'm so far behind you in the race and I've got so much to do to get there that fuck it. Mm. So help me understand whether it was that or what was it that makes the Robins and the, the Gary V's and the Sinek's and the Gretchen Rubens, or whoever they are, the, you know, the the Brené Browns of the world, why were they not speaking to you through their work? So it, it's a really interesting question. And this, I, I almost surprised myself when I, when I came up with, with this point of view, but it, effectively it was saying that I'm a big fan of self-help. I'm a huge fan of personal development and, and learning as much as we can about ourselves and, and gaining all that, that toolbox of, of tactics and techniques to, to make our goals come true, whatever they may be. But when I was, you know, to, to paint you that picture, I was at that stage in my life. Again, I was a guy in my you know, early 30s. I had the young family. My fitness was was literally on its ass. I was going through through counseling and therapy at one stage i had you know uk suicide helpline the samaritans on speed dial i was not in a good place physically or mentally and and i thought okay you know come on freddie you're you're a broadly fairly intelligent guy you know what to do and we we all know you know we've, we've heard it so many times you know firstly ask for help i put my hand up i asked for help and to be fair to, to my company at the time you know when one of the beauties of the corporate world is if you if you put your hand up and say, look, I'm I've really got some some mental issues, then then this whole machine cracks into motion very quickly and they, you know, they they put you in the therapy and they give you the support and everything else. And that was great. And got through the therapy and, and thought I was okay for a while. And, and then I thought, well, I'm gonna go on this personal development journey. And I found a lot of it was useful, but at the same time, it just wasn't relevant. And I I paid so much money for the coaches. I went to all the seminars. I read all the books. And for me, as a guy that was, say, not fit, not in a good space mentally, I just didn't find it relevant. And to, to give you a, a few examples to bring it to life and being sat there as an employee, when, when the boss walks on stage and says, I've got a treat for every, everybody today, I've got you a motivational speaker. And the motivational speaker bounds up onto the stage, brimming with energy, and they tell you about the time they, they climbed Mount Everest, or they you know, walked through the Amazon jungle and they battled a snake and everything else. And, and I'd sit there and think, well, this is a really interesting, and in many cases, a very inspirational story. But how are you actually going to help me? How how is you battling through the Amazon jungle going to help me when I'm just here, sat there? All I want to do is cry right now. I'm worried about 
my project deadline, about the fact I haven't seen my kids. I'm worried. I'm so paralyzed by fear and a mistrust for myself and a lack of confidence. I, de- you know, screw stepping out of your comfort zone. Mm. I was scared to step out of my front door at that stage. Mm. And then I dug a bit deeper and, and this question kept on coming up to me. And you know, the self-help and the personal development industry is an absolute monster these days. You know, globally, it's it's worth around thirty six billion dollars every year. You know, there's about twenty million self help books sold in the U.S. alone every year. Here in the U.K., it's about nine million self help books. If I want to get help with any aspect of my life, I've got Google, I've got YouTube, I've got thousands of coaches that will happily take my money off me to to give me a solution potentially for this problem. So if we have all this wealth of self-help if there has never been a moment in our lifetime where there was more resources around us why are 340 million people every year suffering from anxiety and mild depression according to the world health organization why i'll say why were we facing an anxiety a depression a mental illness pandemic back in 2019 and that was even before coronavirus hit mm. because now those things have even gone through the roof and it's totally skewed the uh, statistics because everyone's struggling right now but i totally get that but before covid hit i i was always thinking why there's so much help out there there's all the gurus all the motivators all the books all the podcasts that i could possibly imagine so why are more people suffering more than ever and that's what led me to think why is self-help not working and and i was thinking it's because it wasn't relevant for me as an, and I still think I'm, I'm an everyday guy. I'm just a guy who worked in an office, who had a couple of kids, who was unfit, who was demotivated. And, and I was sick of having millionaires talk to me about, don't worry about money, just follow your dreams. I was sick of the, of the privileged adventurers saying to me, just walk away from your job and cycle around the world. It'll be great. And I was thinking, I bet it would be great, but my wife would divorce me and my mm. kids would hate me for, and they'd be in therapy for the rest of their lives because daddy left them for six months to cycle around the world. And, and I thought there must be a way, there must be a way to make your goals and your dreams come true without having to sacrifice your marriage, without potentially having to walk away from that corporate life. It just didn't seem right to me that it has to be one way or another, that you have to get up at 5am every morning and then have a cold shower and then write in your journal and then do your yoga and then do your exercise and then do this. And and I was like, Mm -hmm. I haven't got time for that because I've got a real life. And that's why I started to think if I can be where I was and then go on to do what I've done, surely anyone can make whatever goal they have come true and that's why i went to to dispel so many of those self-help myths because for me to be honest with you a lot of people out there are focused on growing their email lists and their marketing funnels and their sales letters and their buy my product now before time runs out or there's only one place left on my coaching course and there's so many people focused on selling they've lost sight of actually what their purpose is, which I believe is to help people. But somewhere along the line, it's all got lost. And I think there has Mm -hmm. to be more out there to help more everyday people that are suffering in that quiet desperation. Because life isn't hopeless. Life isn't helpless. There is always a way for people to make those changes. But it has to be in a tangible, tactical, sustainable way. So then talk to me about this this, uh, switch that flicked with the passing of your father so you it sounds like that that was the the catalyst for change Mm. that was the catalyst for reinvention how i mean i've not had to experience 
that proximity of of, of death in, in my life. I've lost many people in my life, but they've not been that close where mm. obviously I know it would cut incredibly deep. So my empathy is a little off because I've not experienced it. But I could imagine the trauma that it would cause, especially if you were close. Mm. For some people, they can spin out and that can be the start of something dark that could last for a long time. Um, for some people, they they go on this perpetual kind of pity or this perpetual anger that things, you know, that person went too soon and whatever, you know, angry at them, angry at the world, angry at the situation. Um, there's many dark paths people can take when someone goes unexpectedly. Mm. At the same time, like you, some people can find energy in that. What did you, what was it? Try and explain to me what that energy was in, in the passing of your father and um, what, what made it such a strong catalyst for change? Sure. And, and, and it's a great question. And it, I always try and, and, and tell it how it is and, and not the Hollywood version of the story. And I say that I was, I was in this place when he died, let's say, physically, mentally, all aspects of my life were, were pretty much on their, on their ass. And, and then I had the phone call and, and that, that day when, when I, I had to, to watch him die. And again, the Hollywood version of this story would be that I, I walked out of the hospital that night and the, the ray of sunshine or moonlight fell on me. And I thought, this is it, dad, I'm going to go and do it for you. And this is going to be the new chapter of my life. The honest version is it went totally dark, just as you've, uh, just as you've said, I am, um, I, I went in a dark, angry, despairing place for about six months afterwards um, because, firstly, it gave me an excuse. And it's a, it's, to be honest, it's a pretty horrible thing to say when I, mm-hmm. when I say the word out loud. But um, I wouldn't say a tiny part of me was happy that he died. But uh, there was a bit of a relief because it's funny when, uh, when, when someone close to you dies in that quite sudden, quite you know, brutal way. All of a sudden, I had a get out of jail free card for, for six months. I, I could act like a selfish dick. I could go out every night. I could drink what I want. I could do what I want because the way I saw it, who's going to turn around and to, to someone whose dad's just died and be like, oh, well, you know, would you, would you, you know, think you should calm it down a bit? Think, and no yeah. one was telling me to stop because I would just You're be grieving. turning around. Yeah, yeah, I was grieving. I was angry. And if anyone dared say anything, and many people did try to help me, I would just throw it back at them and say, my dad's just died. How dare you try and, and console me? I'm grieving, God damn it. And pour me another tequila. And, and to be honest, I, I ripped the ass out of it for, for a good six months. I, I took that you only live once attitude, that whole life is short uh, mindset, but I took it in a negative way. I said, you know, life is short, so I am going to stay out till five in the morning on a Tuesday night. You only live once, so I am going to go and buy those ridiculous trainers and then go to the bar and drink a bottle of tequila. And I I was selfish. I had no thoughts of the consequences to my actions. I just thought, your dad's left you. The world is is being shit to you. I Just do whatever you feel like. Do whatever feels good. You know, go for the extra large pizza. Be be selfish to people. And for six months, I, I lived that very brutal, very negative 
really whiny lifestyle where I was just sat there wallowing and saying, it's not my fault my dad's died and it's this and it's that. And, and this really whiny voice and this whiny negative character appeared and who I didn't recognize, but, but I thought, you know what, to be totally honest with you, I thought I was having a great time. So you know, I actually remember three days after my dad died, I was, um, I was on a plane to Toronto to, for a partying weekend with my best mate. And uh, this was literally before his funeral. And I was just there saying, you know what? Life is short. So yeah, I am going to go and spend a couple of mortgage payments, not sleeping in Toronto for three days before flying home, drunk on the plane, you know, falling into the family car when they pick me up at the airport because I deserve this. Mm. And, and I had this whole, this whole negative mindset. And obviously my mental health got even worse. Everything got even worse. And, and then how, it was how, what, was, how was your relationship with, with your wife at the time? I'm guessing um, she wasn't particularly happy with no, she, the escapades. No, she, she definitely wasn't happy with any of the, uh, the escapades, that's for sure. And it's fair to say that everyone was, was walking around my household on eggshells and, and it's really funny. And then to be honest, the, that's a really good question. Not even thinking about my relationship with, with my wife, and my kids, that was bad. And they didn't know what to say around me. I was handling my grief very badly. And, and it's funny because just even as I say that now, I realize that even, even today, what, three years after he died now, I, I still haven't even properly cried even now. Um, I think I might have done once when I was very, very pissed. But apart from that, I haven't. And and she knew I had to let this grief out. And you know what? Maybe maybe I still do in, in some areas. But she, she was desperate to help me, but at the same time, not knowing how to help me. And then in as for many people... She must have struggled with a bit of trust, right? Yeah. she, like, she struggled To trust with, you when... You're gallivanting, right? Yeah, you know, and to, to trust me and be thinking, you know, when I'm saying, oh, it's all right, I'm just going to the pub to watch the football. And then I, I I stumble in through the door at six in the morning with my eyes going in different directions, kind of saying, oh, it's fine. I, I just got a bit lost on the way home and all those things. And yeah, she 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 struggled with t- trust and and I think she she struggled with with the compassion because again she she hadn't been been used to this this environment before and and also I think she was worried because again I'd, I'd had those mental health troubles in the past she she knew I had that um, that ability should we say to 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 go down on those on those dark spirals and she wanted to help but at the same time I think her patience ran out and you could only help people so many amounts of times yeah. and then you had to turn around and say you know what you're just being a dick now and and i want to help you and i want to be there for you but you're also you're acting like an absolute idiot and if you don't have the self-respect for yourself to make even a tiny step towards taking some responsibility and changing your behaviors then i can't help you either mm. so then what and and so then it was um for me, it was the 8th of March. Uh, it would have been 2018. And I I woke up, I was going to say one morning, but let's face it, it was probably around lunchtime. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember it, well, it was it was a Thursday morning, so I was supposed to have been at work. I'd been, um, you know in the pub with some colleagues the night before watching uh, watching the football and my my team had won so that was a great excuse for me to say you know what Freddie you've earned another drink and, uh, and then I earned another drink and another drink and then I thought well you know what you've also earned Freddie you've you've earned a Freddie special which was a, a solo night out and um there's a there's a lot of uh, it's a it's a beautifully horrific thing 
a a Freddie solo night out when mm. you're when you're bouncing around the bars on your own. And right. and to be honest, even as I say it, I'm I'm fairly ashamed to um. I tell you what, Steve, I do a lot of podcasts and I'm never as honest as this. So uh, congratulations to you for your questions. But I was I was bouncing around the bars on my own and you know, then going into nightclubs on my own, drinking more and just just getting myself into all kinds of trouble. Uh, and then you know, got back to my to my hotel where I was staying. I think, yeah, pretty about six in the morning. And then you have that horrible experience where I don't know if you've ever been there. Or maybe your listeners had when you you get in a lift uh, after doing an all nighter, and then everyone else in the lift is going down for breakfast, and oh. they're, they're on, the, nicely on the first showered. on the first train home when yeah. people are coming into work and you're going yeah. home. It's like I, I know it you well. don't feel yeah, good everyone's, about yourself. <laughs> everyone's nicely showered, and there's yeah. that uncomfortable silence because they know and you know and you know that they know and they yeah. know that you know, and you're just looking at the floor thinking, "Ah, yeah. oh, shit!" And um, obviously, didn't go into work that day. And when I, I came through and uh, and I was thinking, and I'd, at that stage, I was thinking, do I need to get a bit fitter? And I thought I'll, I'll go for a, you know, a 5k run that morning. That didn't happen. I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, Freddie, you absolute asshole. And I thought I talked such a good game. As I say, I was the guy that was sat on the sofa saying, I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to, you know what guys, I'm going to run through the desert. I'm going to do all these things that everyone would kind of laugh and say, yeah, hey, you could never do that. Get yourself another shot. And I thought, you know what, Freddie, you taught such a big game about having having these goals and these dreams. And you've, you've been saying everyone for six months that life is short and life is precious and you've had it taken away from you and, and everything else. And I just realized I was living a life of regret. And then I, I wouldn't have said I saw my dad's ghost because that would be a bit too Hollywood. But I... I certainly felt his presence and I, I was almost, I, I saw the world through his eyes and I thought about that, that day that he died because you know he had breakfast that morning and he didn't know he was going to die that day. Mm. And I always thought about that moment that must've happened when, you know, whether the doctors told him or the nurses told him, or he just realized when he thought, hang on, I, I, you know, I'm not going to get out of this alive. And I always I thought to myself, what regrets did he have? What did he think? Ah, oh, shit! I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd you know done that thing or not been such a dick because he was on his fourth wife when he died. So um, he he'd obviously had a bit of a life and and I thought, what regrets did he have? And all of a sudden, I thought, do I want to be that person that's always making excuses, that's living that life of regret? Because I could just see that path in front of me, that that repetitive cycle of drinking, partying. You know, maybe one day I'd I'd do something really bad and get divorced or get fired or something else. And I just thought, do you know what? And and one of my my key phrases came to me that if if you want the things you've never had before, you need to do the things you've never done before. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, and I was like, well, if if I want those things I've never had, and and these weren't the materialistic things; these were things like achievement, like happiness, like confidence, fulfillment. If I want those things I've been chasing for so long, I need to do something differently. And that's the morning when I thought, well, shit, if you want to do something big and different, then then you need to stop drinking, Freddie. And and that was the uh, the, the last day that I had a drink. No and way. Yeah. Right. So that was... Are you, uh, some, you still teetotal? Yep. Still. So I haven't... Uh, so I'm coming up to, to two years sober now. And... And, and yeah, that was, and maybe that is the Hollywood version that I did. I tried to quit drinking so many times. I'd been, you know, dry January, but then the third of January comes around and you think, well, I'm back at work tomorrow. I'll just Sunday night feeling Monday feeling Friday night, Mm -hmm. 
all of those excuses that I'd always give up drinking and then you know, Saturday would roll around and I'd be like, well, you know, just, just one because life is short, right? And, you know, no one likes someone boring, so I'll, I'll just have one. Then I go on again. So I thought, you know what, if you really want to make those changes, then um, then the first thing you can do to show yourself you're serious is uh, is by knocking the booze on the head. So, yeah, that was the the last time I had a drink. And I thought, well, if I can if I can stop drinking, then, then maybe I could see what other goals I could achieve. And, and that's when the whole roller coaster journey started. OK, wow. OK, so it it was that it was that commitment or so that feedback that you were able to make a big decision which clearly was you know you were addicted to the short-term value of drinking right yeah it's it's soothing nature escapism uh just a bit of fun um you'd grown dependent on Mm. drink to fill you and to then walk away from that and know that you can and then I, i guess that reinforcing um feedback loop it sounds like that is the catalyst for saying, well, what else can I do? Where else can I go with this? Um, what is interesting in, in, in what you just said there was you spoke about not wanting to live a life of regret mm. and not knowing when you're going to die. And I've, I've listened, you know, I sound quite morbid, morbid, but I write quite a lot about death, whether it's, you know, the statistics of, you know, the last year or mm. whether it's about just coming to terms with, that's the, the the single most certain contract in your life, which is you are going to die. And yeah. I think the, the sooner we all come to terms with death, probably the sooner we can start living. Mm. Because there's, a, there's this unknowingness, which is you and I could die today. Like something could happen, right? Mm. You know, you think of any example of, of, of death across the world through time, I bet you your bottom dollar, someone's died on a, on the mics like you and I are right now. And yep. they've died in every other instance that we can ever imagine something happened, whether it be a freak incident or some kind of health uh, acute event. So if you could come to terms with the fact that life is so fragile mm. and you can come to terms with you could be in that hospital bed gasping your la- last breath, what would you do differently? Mm. And then I think about this whole situation with COVID and, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I see a lot of people wanting to protect their lives by Mm. not living right now. And they honestly, like I know people close to me and I'm like, you haven't got, and I'm I'm not trying to be crass here, but you haven't got much to protect right now. Mm. You're not living your life. You're quite unhappy. You're alone. There's a lot of shit going on in your life. It's Life's a struggle. And you've amped it up to 11 by isolating yourself, distance, you know, consuming, obsessional, uh, hyperbolic, fear-mongering news, and now advocating further levels of destruction and isolation because you want another tomorrow. Mm. But you're not living today well enough to give me confidence that if you were given tomorrow, you would do something with it. So I'm struggling, you know, over the last year, Freddie, I've really been struggling Mm. with that mentality of I want to protect nothing. Because when when is nothing going to become something? When are you going to step away from the fear? Because I'm telling you, fear right now is going to be the death of everyone. Because fear is no way to live your life. Like I can understand fear has a place, but not perpetual mm. fear, not constant fear, which was the, the fear that prevented you from, you know, you know, going teetotal, the, 
the fear of you quitting your job, the fear of you doing the things we're about to speak about, that all of that is fear and that prevented you from taking action. But right now we are all paralyzed in fear. Every one of us, whether it's the skepticism of the situation or the leaning in with the, you know, the concerns of COVID and what it can mean for them or their their partners or their their loved ones or you know, their, their parents, grandparents, etc. I feel fear is just driving everything right now. So talk to me a bit about, about that idea of like death knocking on your door. And was that, was that the kind of conversation you were having with yourself, which is, I can't escape this and it could happen at any point. And totally. And yeah, I think the first thing to say around that is, is I agree. And it kills me, ironically, metaphorically, it kills me so much because I see so many people and it's like, there's the phrase here, some people die many years before they're buried in the ground. And it's, I think it's the saddest thing. It really is. And there's, it's always a, a clash of two main mindsets that I, that I see at the moment. And this, I, I still do go in and I work with businesses and I work with people on a one-to-one basis. And on one hand, we've all had a crash course in the last 12 months that life can be short, that it can be taken away from us so quickly. And so many people have had that that tragic situation where they have seen loved ones die before their time with with, with COVID and everything else. And you say, right, you've had a, a real crash course in this now. You've seen it. You know that life is precious. So now is the moment to make the most of your life. Now is that time more than any to really go after your goals. Let's do it. And they say, yeah, I think I'm going to wait until life gets back to normal a bit. And mm. then I'll think about doing that. And I'm like, oh, it just, it's so painful because it's like, it's there. You can do it. You have the push. You can, people have the pain that can motivate them to make the changes. And you say, let's go. I said, well, the time's not right right now because who, who would want to, to make any, any life changes during a pandemic? But what they don't get is that before the pandemic, people were saying, well, it's not a good thing to make a change during an economic crisis. And then before then, it was the threat of terrorism. And then before then, it was well, something Christmas else. is around the corner. Or, yeah, you exactly. know, I've got a birthday coming up. You know I mean, yeah. there's, there's always and, something. Yeah. They, they, you know, whether it's a small life change, like say like diet or exercise or, or drinking, or whether it's whether it is the the job or the, the, you know, the, the move to a different country or the relationship, it's always saying, well, yeah, I'll just get this out of the way and then I'll do it and then I'll do it. And, and it kills me that, that people have so much potential, so much opportunity and so much desire. And I think in many cases, deep down, they know what that thing is that they want to do, but then they'll always make the excuse and say, but it's not the right time or I'm going to wait till something else. And I think it's, it's such a difficulty. And, and to, to actually answer your, your question, I think it's, it's absolutely right that it was that, that face with, with mortality. And, and for me, it was, it was thinking, not only who who do I want to be proud of when I die, and do I want to to look back and, and not have any regrets? And it's like books like like you know Bronnie Ware's Top Five Regrets of the Dying, and it's it's not new news to us. We know that we don't want to to live a life without any regrets. We want to be true to ourselves, but but we don't do it. But I'd I'd had other instances in the past. In one one particularly uh, not enjoyable example was again back in my uh, my my hard drinking don't give a shit days. I was in, uh, I was in New York and, uh, in, in, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, uh, and a drug dealer held a loaded gun to my head and, uh, and he told me he was going to pull the trigger unless I, uh, I walked to the cash machine and gave him all my money. And, um, and on its own, that was, a, was a fairly traumatic incident. And 
Because it was even one of these friendly British drug dealers. It, being a, a proper American drug dealer, you, you don't mess around with them. And, uh, and being in this situation where I was obviously in a very vulnerable position, a, a loaded gun held to my head, and and that's what made me think about choices and and what do I do with my life? And and I made the wrong choice then, or not not the worst choice, but maybe not the smartest choice. Where I did the very British, oh look, what's over there? And as he looked, I ran the other way. <laughs> And um, I, I never run that. Well. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a runner, um, but I've never run that fast in my life. And and again, you know, I crashed through my hotel door. I, I get through a lot of hotel room doors. I crashed through again, you know, thinking, shit, what have you done? That was stupid. That was foolish. You know, that could have been a warning sign about, but it you know, I risked my life there. But it wasn't, you know, that gave me an excuse to, you know, that was a shock. I need a drink to get over that and, and get on that whole cycle again. Um, but yeah, I think we all have, it doesn't have to be, you know these big events, like say the, the the unfortunate death or the the situation where you you might be facing death. I think we can all do more to realise that you know we we have to accept our fates. And like you say, none of us getting out of here alive. Death is the only thing that we can guarantee. But it is down to us how we control our mindset, our thoughts, our actions, and our reactions. And we don't just have to be a passenger in this journey. We can take a different path, and we can go and make the most of our lives and make our goals and dreams come true before our time does unfortunately run out one day. I want to take a quick breather from this conversation to mention our high impact personal growth and well-being micro learning program called the Be Your Best Self-Optimization Journey. Running this health and wellness business, speaking to amazing people through this show and being an ongoing student of optimizing human potential over the years has provided such deep personal insight. In an attempt to codify these lessons of how to be your best across the six foundations of human physical and mental health into what is a must-know and inspiring package that fits into our busy modern lifestyles, I developed a self-paced educational program spanning 100 days that is delivered through daily email insights. If you're considering your next move in life, or simply want to tap into your full potential and could do with a helping hand in knowing how to optimize your mindset, habits, nutrition, exercise, physique, and mental calmness, then do punch over to Adaptation.io and check out the Be Your Best self-optimization journey. More details and a listener discount code can be found in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the conversation. I concur. I also think that we are, we are too scared of death. I, yeah. I think death is, um, you know, in many cultures is actually celebrated, right? Yeah, Whether definitely. it's, you know, going on to, you know, the next thing, right? You know, spiritually, what have you, or there's so many reasons why death is celebrated. It's part mm. of life. It's seen as a, a, a integral part of living is to die. Um, and I think if we could all come to terms with the fact that, you know, should we stop being so scared about it? Let's not be mm. reckless. Let's not go and drive on the wrong side of the road every day, right? <laughs> Let's mm. not go and jump out of planes without a parachute. Let's not stand on the, you know, the edge of cliffs and, you know, flirt with the idea of just jumping off. Like I understand there's things that are inappropriate risks and we're not I'm not advocating for that. But I am advocating for uh, an acceptance that life is probably and maybe this is going to be a nice segue. Life is likely its level of enrichment is directly correlated with the level of risk you're willing to take, mm. right? And we talk. I want to talk about the risks you've taken, 
Um, like, I, I, you sound like a bit of a modern day Forrest Gump. <laughs> like, run away from your problems. But m- maybe it isn't that. But, you know, you're going to talk to me now about some of the things that you've done, some of your feats of grit and determination. Um, but when I look at those, they're risky in their own right, right? Mm. Um, you've been places and you've uh, done some level of endurance, which quite frankly, the wrong step or the wrong circumstance could have landed you in either some serious health conditions and or death. Yet you come out the other side of it and you're grateful for those experiences of pain, suffering and struggle. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Let's talk about your modern modern day Forrest Gump antics, what some of those are and why and what have you got out of them? Sure, absolutely. So I think the uh, when... uh, when I was in this place where I thought, right, I need to, if I want to do all these things, I need to stop drinking. I thought, right, I'll, I'll, I'll try and, and get sober. And that was the, the first step. And, and then I, I sat down and, and I thought, well, what, what do I really want to do with my life? And the, the first step really was, was this, uh, this race called, um, I'm going to murder the pronunciation. So apologies to any French people listening. Uh, the, the Marathon de Sable, which is uh, translated as the Marathon of the Sands, uh, known as the the world's toughest foot race, which uh, effectively is 200 miles through the Sahara Desert. It's the equivalent of, of running seven marathons in six days. Um, you know, temperatures reach 55 degrees Celsius, 100 and 28 degrees Fahrenheit or something and it, yeah, this pack, race is that kind of stuff yeah yeah camel pack you, you carry all of your um food all of your clothing all of your equipment on your back so it isn't the case where you you know run a marathon in the desert and then retire back to a hotel for a, you know, a dip in the pool afterwards mm-hmm. you're in this environment which is like running on the surface of Mars or the nearest thing we can get to Mars and I, I thought yeah, this is why it's called the world's toughest foot race and I'd had my eye on this race for about five years and for so long, I'd been the guy again. Say, oh, I'd love to do that one day. I'd, I'd love to do that, and I'd, you know, I'd do all. The, I'd read about it. If you asked me a question about it, I could quote you the facts and figures, and I could bore you. I could bore the pants off you for for hours talking about the race. But then, if you said to me, "Well, have you done it?" I'd mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, no, no, no. Um, you know, not quite fit enough, or uh, you know, the the economy is not quite right, or busy at work, or I'd make up all these excuses to to not do it. I'd be an armchair expert in in this race, and and then, you know, after my dad's death and after getting sober, I thought, well, you know what? Now's the time to do it. And and again, I found myself a lot of these big life moments happen when I'm slumped in a in a desk at work, it seems. And and I found myself one day looking on the website as I always did, reading the articles as I always did. And then for some reason, there was this button that said, you know, apply now. And I found myself taking out my credit card there and then, mm. typing in my details, ticking the big waiver that says, you know, if, if you understand that if you die during this race, then your your family has to pay to send your body back home. Wow. And I was like, yep, okay, I'll, I'll tick that. And then before I knew it, I, I clicked, you know, pay. And then I, I just sort of sat there. I thought, oh, shit, I've just signed up for the world's toughest foot race, which which sounds great fun but at that point i i couldn't run a park run i i, I literally couldn't run around the block um i say i would i stopped drinking at that stage but I, I couldn't do a park run without stopping for for a tactical cigarette halfway through and and this this event that's like the the, the absolute peak of the ultra running can, calendar that has all the the world's finest professional athletes and ultra runners that have been um serrano fines has done it many olympians have done it and there's me with my beer belly 
can't run at all that are just signed up for this same race. And I thought, right, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I need to set myself a big goal and I need to show myself and other people that I'm serious. So even though I can't run right now in 18 months time, as you say, I'm going to do my own very own, um, Lawrence of, of Forrest Gump and, mm. uh, and run through the desert and, uh, and, and try and finish this race somehow. Wow. Wow. That's, I love that kind of stuff. I've been there too, where impulse has mm. kind of forced you into something and then you have that oh shit moment. It's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> That was a bit foolish. And <laughs> now I've got to commit to it. That's great. I love that. So, I think on that, it, it's partly, oh. it's understanding our mindset as well and, and double down, doubling down on our strengths. And because I accept I'm, I'm probably a bit of a go hard or go home character. And in, for so many years, I use that in a negative way that, you know, I, I'm going to be the last person at the bar or I'm going to be the person that pulls an all-nighter at work or I'm going to do all these extreme things in a negative way. And I thought, well, why why not try and flip that mindset rather than trying to get up to as no good as a, as I can possibly find? Why not flip it and see what really big, disruptive, positive change can I make? And that's why I decided to go so big and not just say, a more sensible approach. Why not sign up for a half marathon and see if you can do that? Or why not try and do a park run? No, why not try and do the world's toughest foot race and see how that works out? And of course, Freddie, that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, right? It doesn't mean no. they need to to reach, uh, overreach that much uh, in their first foray into doing something different uh, and, and challenging. Um, but just as a, as, as a quick um, list off, before mm. we get into any more details, to list off the things that you, uh, these kind of claims to um, kind of these feats of endurance. So you've done this uh, desert run, 200 yeah. odd miles. You've done a, go on, you, you, you list them. What other things? Sure. Um, so so I'm, a, I'm a Guinness World Record holder. So I'm in the book of records. I am officially the world's fastest fisherman, um, which means <laughs> the, uh, the, the fastest person to, to run a marathon dressed as a fisherman. Okay. Uh, I thought it would be a nice fly fishing setup, but it turned out I had to be a deadliest catch type fisherman with, nice. uh, with welly boots and all. Uh, so yeah, did that. Um, did the Ironman race. Uh, and again, which is, um, I, I've got a lot of respect for any man or woman that does an Ironman. Uh, the Ironman was my first ever triathlon uh, doing, I still don't know how to, to, to fix a bike puncture or, um, or, or swim in open water. So that was an interesting experience. I, um, I ran the, the UK's first lockdown marathon. So I've got a garden a bit smaller than, uh, than a tennis court. And, uh, and I ran around that for 13 hours. Did you? Uh, yeah. To, <laughs> so running around my tiny garden from, from sunrise to sunset during the summer, which was a bad timing. Oh, and, and yeah, did, uh, did 50 miles around my garden to, to raise money for the NHS. Nice. Um, you know, dived with great white sharks, even though I can't really swim, walked on fire, even though I'm strangely scared of fire. Um, very dyslexic at school, but but chose to to, to write an, a book that's being published in uh, in April this year. And all these things, I think you made a really such a valid point earlier that I know that some of the stuff that I've done is extreme, and and I, no one in their right mind would want to do it. And it, for me, it absolutely isn't about doing extreme things because again, I, I was sat in the audience listening to the people telling their extreme stories and saying, "Well, that that just sounds crazy to me. There's no way I want to do that." But I think. That was just my goal, but the same process and the same tactics and mindset can be applied by people, whether you want to 
start the art class or plan a trip somewhere or start a business or a relationship or just you know climb a mountain or anything it's about helping people to make their own goals come true whatever they may be and that's why it's not about extreme adventures or even particularly around health and fitness it's about time and it's about helping people to do that thing that will stop them living in regret and this is interesting, Freddie, because I've had on, and I don't know if any of these names are going to be familiar to you, but I've had on Brian Keane, who mm. runs a popular podcast, and he's done yeah. the, that's the, the Desert Run. Mm. He's run around the Arctic, which I know is something you're interested in doing. So he's, yep. he's, had, he's done that race. Um, and then I've had on the likes of James Ketchell, who is a mm-hmm. UK explorer, modern-day explorer, and he's done the ultimate triathlon. He's uh, cycled around the world. Uh, he's road um, from from here to uh, the Caribbean mm. uh, by himself, solo. Um, and he's flown around the world in a gyrocopter. He's done some kind of, kind of cool stuff. He's, 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 a, he's actually a friend of mine. Uh, we used to work with each other. Um, mm. And I've also had on Mike McCastle, UK, oh, uh, sorry, awesome. US guy. He does this thing called 12 Labors. And he's done like, yeah. the most pull-ups in the world. He's done, you know, climbing up, he's climbed up uh, a rope the size of Mount Everest, like up and down. Uh, he's done a tire flip more than anyone. He's done some like crazy, like suffering stuff, like painful suffering, like yeah. repetition that you think like, why? And that's always the question. That's always the question for me. And I think for everyone listening is why? Like why? <laughs> what are you running away from? What are you trying to find? Is it is it like an innate human experience to quote unquote explore? Or is it just an acceptance that struggling and suffering is your path to enlightenment, finding yourself, you know, I don't know, like grappling with pain? Does that have a kind of like sadistic kind of thing where it kind of on the flip, on the on the opposite side of that pain, there's some euphoria? Like, talk to me, like, why these things that are pretty out there? What what did you think you wanted? And did you get it? And were there any surprises along the way? That that's such a great question, and it I think it really makes us look into ourselves. And in, in that whole adventure community, there's it's a strange kind of, of ethos. And I, I've got so much respect for for the people that you mentioned. I think they've they've done some some amazing things. And I think there there is sometimes an issue. And I think sometimes this comes from you know, the, the social media world that we live in. And there's there's sometimes a, a bit of a venture porn that goes on where, where someone says, right, if if you've run through the desert, I'm going to go in and run through the desert in, in a suit of armor or someone that says, I'm going to go and then do this and do that. And 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 you're right, it it sometimes starts to to push us in the wrong direction. And I I thought, and someone asked me a, a while ago, you know, what what do they what do I think my my talent is? And and I was like, well, I'm I'm not going to claim to be the world's best athlete or best adventurer or anything like that because I know I'm not. And and then you go through that superficial layer where you think, you know, my my talent is is my mindset or or being kind or things like that. But I think, and and I thought about this question for a long time, and I actually think my talent is is that I'm I'm very good at suffering, and and I'm sure a psychologist would have a would have a field day with me and. So there's something in my mind that that goes towards suffering, which is again, it's a weird thing to say out loud. Like if I, 
if I say something like, again, as you say, I'm, I'm looking at running across the uh, the Arctic, and that was supposed to be happening in, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, say in mid-February, but thanks thanks to COVID, it's another example of uh, of our best laid plans being being turned on their head. And and many people have said to me, like, that's crazy. Why on earth would you run through the Arctic? And I say, but it, for me, it, it's as, as plain as saying, you know, that's why the sky is blue. I'm like, how how could you not want to do it? Mm. And I think I want to do that because it's almost that that's serving my penance. It's almost, that, and if I'm totally honest, I, I think it's almost because I feel that I need to suffer somehow. And I don't know, I'd like to think that I feel like I need to suffer to really understand who I am as a person and to understand really what I'm capable of because I spent so many years believing that I wasn't capable of anything good, that I thought I was I was only good for entertaining people in a bar. I thought I was only good for for being the butt of so many people's jokes. I was I was the guy that if you said, hey, let's find a guy to drink a cup of piss. I know, Freddie will do it. And I'd say, yeah, I'd do it. And unfortunately, I have done that. <laughs> and and again, it's it, it was it was great for at the time. And everyone calls you a legend and then you have, have a great laugh. And then when you're lying in bed that that next day and you think, Mm, I'm, I'm not particularly proud of myself for that. And and for so long, I, I thought I was good for nothing, to, to coin a phrase. And, and I didn't believe that any good things deserved to happen to me. And and I think a lot of people feel like that. And if, if something good did happen, I'd either be thinking, when's it going to go wrong? When's someone going to realize the error? When am I going to, when am I going to get found out? And that's what I thought maybe I have to suffer to see what I am capable of in, in a positive way. And I think for many people, it doesn't have to be running a marathon in, in welly boots until your toenails fall off. Maybe that's suffering in terms of stepping into a room full of people you don't know, which is probably the worst example to use at the moment where we can't do that. Or, you know, or thinking I'm going to, I'm going to try and write a book of poetry, even though I, I don't think I'm a very good writer or any of those things. I think it's, it's understanding that if I could suffer and come out of the other side, then maybe I can build that that self belief and that confidence that I can actually do do positive things, and that's where the journey started. And and sometimes, to be really honest with you, I I look upon people with jealousy who who seem to find it easy and and say, hey, you know, I'm I, I'm an athlete. I'm just going to go and run the length of the UK because I've spoken to people that have done that, and that's an amazing achievement. And it, it seems like water ducks back to them. And and I know that if I did it, I'd have panic attacks and I'd cry and I'd bleed and I'd beg and I'd beat myself up for making all these stupid decisions. But, but maybe that's the way that I have to go through these things to, to suffer, but to prove to myself that good things can come from suffering because for so long I thought you suffer, life is shit and that's it. Mm -hmm. But by doing these things, maybe it's about showing to myself and to other people that the good things can come from suffering and that, bad times don't last forever. And that might be a race. It might be a, it might be 2020. It might be a, a particularly difficult moment that anyone's having in their life, but by suffering, we can come through the other side because without suffering, we can't feel joy. And without going through that hardship, yeah. we can't appreciate the good times. And I think maybe I'm the way I'm doing it is by, by showing to people that we don't have to always shy away from suffering. Sometimes we all have to suffer. Just as we've said, you have to suffer to climb up that first mountain and then go down again and then be prepared to have a different kind of suffering to go up that second one. But it's always, always still worth that view in the end. I think we are 
like this is philosophical, but I think we we're we're built to suffer. I think mm. it's it's part of part of the gig. I really do. I think I think this kind of fragility moment uh, we're having right now, this idea of like safetyism, this idea mm. that no one can no one can, you know, um, upset you or say the wrong thing. Kind of this wokeness mentality. Oh yeah. Um, this idea that you got to protect everyone, and before it was you know the physical protection, wrap your kids up in a bubble, don't let them go anywhere, and we've taken that to the extreme, and obviously mm. this year even more so. Uh, but then you put the, then you layer on the you can't insult anyone, you can't uh, offend them with your own opinion about something, uh, and then you see the censorship, and then you see people trying to close you down, and the tribalism because you have a different thought, and it hurts me, and it offends me, and therefore you're wrong, you can't speak. I think we're taking this idea of we need a life without suffering, and if only, then the world would mm. be utopia. I actually think we're completely one hundred percent misguided. And I think that we 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 need to lean in with the struggle because hey, struggle is growing, right? Whether it's in the gym or whether it's you know pacing yourself to be able to run distance, or whether it's that first interview or that first presentation or that first speech or whatever it is or that first date, it's all suffering, but it's also growth, isn't it? Like I've seen my kids learn and suffer, and I see you know my, my kids. When when they tackle something new for the first time, I can see them well up. Mm. I, you know that they, they, I can see them getting angry inside. You know, going insular, and we're seeing that more because we get the, got the privilege of seeing them being homeschooled at the moment. And I understand that, but they mm. also know because they've they've gone through this. They're doing a, a lot of reps right now. Is that something feels shit? Don't want to be here. I'm in this trough of disillusionment, and then pop, I'm out. And yeah. my head's above the parapet and I get it. And now I, I can't suffer on that that maths example anymore because I get it. I'm not going mm. through that pain anymore. And I've grown, I've developed, I've learned. I'm slightly better. I, we've lost that willingness culturally to get in on a bit of struggle. Where you know, And I know like a lot of people go to the gym for their kind of sense of struggle, like, you know, mm. lift some hard reps or, you know, do a spin class, whatever it is, they're beating themselves up into submission. I think, I think deep down as as humans, I think life is a bit lacking unless you're pushing against something a bit painful. And it, think, it sounds like for you, you kind of lean in on the pain more than others would. Mm. And maybe you get a better, maybe you get a higher high as a result of that. So maybe you can talk to me about that. I, Talk to me about the post, the post event. Like, are you? Do you get what you want from doing these things? It's a really interesting question, and to, to follow up what you said, I totally agree. I think if I'm taking a negative view of the world right now, which I, I try not do, to be honest with you, but I think it is scary, and because you know, everything that we have in society of, of not offending people and you can't, you know, I'm red and you're blue or I'm left and you're right. And we, we can't get along and we're either going to be, you know, in, in the tribe together or we're going to be sworn enemies. I, I do have concerns as to how we're going to get out of that as, as a population in, in the Western world. And I see it in our children as well. And, and my kids are the same where they, they, they don't want to suffer. And, and a lot of what I do and the, there's nothing more painful than than running a marathon dressed as a bloody fisherman and saying, right, kids, I've just shown you, you know, it's all about mindset. It's all about strength and adversity. It's all about stepping out of your comfort zone. 
here you go. I'm your dad. I've been your great role model. And they just say, yeah, I want to go and play on Minecraft now. And I'm going to cry if my Minecraft thing doesn't go the way I want to. And, and you think, oh, shit, how, how are we going to get around that as, as a population? Um, and I do think it's, it's worrying. And I think things in our society need to change. And I don't believe that... Uh, without going too much on again my, my anti-self-help soapbox which isn't the case but that message of always break out of your comfort zone smash your goals face your fears that that quite aggressive tone to people I, I think there is a time and a place for that and i do fully believe that we have to get uncomfortable we have to feel that discomfort to to make our our furthest goals come true but at the same time we can't always be on on the edge you can't always be always in this state of discomfort, always running it at a hundred percent. We do need that, that balance, but. And you're not think, right. If you think about your, mm. your endeavors, I can imagine Freddie, and sorry to cut you short there. No, sure. I, I can imagine your life isn't one of extreme suffering every single day. I can imagine no. it isn't. It looks like you're, you're like a lion, right? You know, you for most of the day, you're lazy. And mm. then when, when, when there's, when you got to chase something, you go chase it and you go hell for leather, uh, you, you get your fix and then you go back to kind of like, kind of chill. And there's yeah. that kind of undulation between extremes. Is that a fair assessment? Because like the things you're talking about, they're not like, if you said to me, right, Steve, I'm going to go on a, I'm going to go on a fast for a year. Mm. I could imagine that might be quite unattractive to you. But mm. the idea of a like a, a two week or a one week kind of, run all in that one week you've got you've got the scars to prove it and then you can kind of pull away that's kind of a, a extreme pain but mm. short-lived is is that is is that fair or or or, or have i mischaracterized no I, I think you're right and uh like i say i'm i'm very much like the you know taking the the, the ultra marathon around the garden it was it was a 13 hours of, of non-stop pain and boredom and destroying my lawn. Uh, but then afterwards, I was like, brilliant. I've, I've now I've, I've earned my, my, my extra large dominoes and, and sitting on my ass for a couple of days. And, and there is certainly that. And, and to tie it back to, to your original question around, you know, what, what happens at the end of, of these challenges? And it's, it's strange because you do get the, the elation, you do get the, the high, but, but it is short-lived. And, Linking back to, to the corporate world, it's like, and I've been there as well, when you're going for a big promotion and I've been, I, I was trying to get promoted for 18 months every day in your head. You're like, you know, got to be on my game, got to perform, got to do this, got to do that. How do I get promoted? Then you get the promotion and it's a, a great day. And yeah, you have the, or that stage I was having the champagne and everything. And then you think, well, you know, and then you look to the next peak and then do it again. And it's very similar for, for the, for the races and say, when I came back from the desert, I had the high and, you know, you, you come home to the hero's welcome and you do the, the media pieces and you go and do the talks and everything. And then people that. get bored of you. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and, that was, <laughs> and that was a funny moment. Exactly. And, and, and that was a big crossroad for me because I said the desert being the first challenge. And, and I thought, like I say, I, I thought I had a story that I could dine out on for the rest of my life. And, and I thought that could be it. You know, I could, I could, you know, it was down, the timing was great. I had all the stories, all the, you know, the stepping away from disaster and everything else. And I thought I could just say this for the rest of my life, go back into the old habits, get used to the sofa, maybe get back on the beers. And, and that would be that. And, 
uh, but then I started to realize that I always needed that that extra thing to to aim for and I think another way of saying it is is when you think have have I made it or not and and for a while I thought I'll go through the desert and I'll make it or I'll get that promotion and I'll have made it I'll I'll, I'll be successful uh, to coin a phrase but then I realized that that I wasn't I was always chasing that that next thing maybe chasing that next high or the next achievement and I think it was firstly I know I perform so much better when I have something to aim for. And, and that's why I always have mm. to have the next challenge. And that's why, to be honest, you know, I, for the last 18 months, I've had the Arctic race to aim for. And then that got cancelled. Ever since that's been cancelled, I've struggled with my training. I've yeah. struggled getting out of bed at six in the morning to go for a run because I'm like, oh, I've got nothing nothing in the calendar at the moment. And 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 there is always that that goal. And I think the, say the lesson is maybe we're not supposed to ever make it maybe it doesn't work best for us that we have the one goal and then we get that goal and then you think what next and i think that can apply to people that are you know they're thinking right in five more years then i get the promoter then i get the pension and then i can retire or my big goal is to i say cycle around the world or to publish a book or to start a business and you do it and then you think well hang on i I've achieved a goal now, and 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 then what do I do next? And if we're not careful, I think that we can just undo all that hard work, either through self sabotage, or just getting lazy, or, or just not having that that purpose in life. I also think I agree with you because I've seen in my life when I have a target and it's meaningful and it's I've made it public, um, I've got a strong resolve to follow through. Mm. Um, when I drop targets because I can't be bothered setting them. Um, I just have too much latitude to be quite flexible with my, with my commitments and, mm. you know, easy way of saying, you know, the, 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 the honesty, the honest answer is I end up dropping the ball because no one's looking, no one cares, neither do I. Um, even though I do care, it's just, I haven't set, I haven't been, haven't been specific enough about what I want. Um, so I get that. I understand targets are useful, in some regard, aren't you always chasing? Chasing for the next thing. Here's a quick conversation interrupt to see how this show is working out for you. I sincerely hope you're enjoying this discussion and it resonates with you at some level. The key to podcast shows like this is to make sure these incredible conversations and interviews with brilliant minds don't fall into the podcast show black hole. We achieve this in large part through our listeners who help get the word out. Whether it's leaving a five-star rating or review in their podcast app, telling a friend or family member, or sharing poignant episodes on social media, these small acts make a huge difference to increasing our reach and discoverability. So as a small ask, if you get to the end of this episode and want to help this show out, please review, forward, or share this adaptation episode. A huge personal thanks in advance. Now, let's get back to this conversation. You are, and there's, and, and I fully accept that I am. And there's a, there is a question there that is, I think there's so much importance in life in in gratitude and and being happy with with what we have. And and I've certainly fallen into that trap in the past when 
as soon as I came back from from the desert, or fairly soon after, I was all I was, I was looking for that next high. For what I was looking for my fix, as saying right, I, yes. After all the, the 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 press stuff and everything else, I, I wasn't saying well that was that was great, and I've got this story. It was thinking well, I said I could either just go back to the old habits, or or I need a fix of something else. And immediately I was like right, I'm gonna I'm gonna row the Atlantic. That's the plan. And and my wife was then saying, and to fair, I, I can't disagree with her. You know. We've just had two years or 18 months of you running every single bloody day of talking about nothing but the Sahara Desert. And then you've left me with two young kids mm-hmm. when you go and run the bloody thing. And then you've come back and then you've said, right, guys, I'm going to row the Atlantic now. And, and I think, to be fair, my, my family as a whole put their foot down and said, do you want to be Freddie, the person who goes to do crazy shit? Or do you actually want to be Freddie, the good husband and the good father and everything else. Because in a way, you know, back in the corporate world, like I say, I was away from home. I was working crazy hours and everything else. And I, it was easy to moan. And I gave myself the excuse, you know, like, I hate the corporate life, man. I'm not seeing my family and I'm missing my kids growing up. And then I left that world and I was, I was running and I was off on, you know, various crazy adventures and I actually still wasn't seeing my family and I still wasn't giving them the attention they deserved. So really I was actually still being a bit of a selfish dick, to be honest. And, and that's why now I, and when I try and help people, it's about that sustainable change and, and helping to, to reach those goals. And I always believe we should be stretching ourselves and setting new goals and having something to aim for, but it has to be done in the right way because if we're just doing something for the sake of it, or if we're just doing something because because you know that that medal is going to get some great likes on Instagram or you're going to make a really good YouTube video out of it. If we're doing it for the external praise, then then it kind of starts to undo itself. And I think we we always have to have that that burning desire to do these things for ourselves, not to, to impress people we've never met, not to get our boss to like us or our partner to like us. It all comes up into, into one one complex ball of relationships to make sure that we've got that relationship with ourselves, but also that we're not destroying the relationship with our loved ones at the same time. I think it's, it's a very difficult thing and it might be more of a masculine thing. Um, Mm. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I I see this more in men than women um, that kind of uh, enjoy kind of solitude suffering. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and are doing it because they want to be a good father, but they're not being a present father mm. to do that. Whether that that you know, whether it's working crazy hours in the office, or whether it's doing some of the things you've spoken about, or going on the three-hour cycle every weekend because it's just it's what you need for your head. Like, I get that, I understand yeah. those things. But um, if you choose that over being present, at some point, I guess there's going to be some regret when you've gone. I had the opportunity. I, I I could have reconfigured my day, my week, my year to be a little bit more present in the evolution of my child, you know, their development and, and be with them before they don't want to be with me. Mm. And I definitely had got taught that lesson over, you know, many years of my life and um, stopping my corporate career and being home every day comes with its downsides. Let's be clear. Yeah. Being ever present is not a good thing either. <laughs> no, <laughs> but um, being able to see them and engage with them and them have a different relationship with me and hopefully have a fond memory of their childhood with their father, I think that's important to me. It's important mm. to know that hopefully that serves them well in terms of their character and their psychology. And I 
got to appreciate being a father of two young girls versus thinking about it, but not having it, you know? So I, I think what you said there's is important for us to remember, which is, yeah, we want our own little kind of es- escapades of success. and uh, But sometimes maybe the best success in life is being normal, but being being really good at being normal. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? No, I get that. Yeah, one of the key things that I talk about is that you know, everyday people can do extraordinary things. And I, I fully believe that. But at the same time, it's I, I don't mean everyday people as, as an insult. I'm an everyday person. So many, you know, 99% of the world are everyday people. That that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I know everyone wants to be a be a Gary V or an Elon Musk or a, you know some super athlete, but for the most of us, we can still achieve our wildest dreams and our extraordinary goals without having to leave the safety and the beauty of the everyday behind. And and I know I I used to say, and I was lying to myself, but I've realised it now. The the things that I've done, I could say I'm, I've done it to inspire my children, and so they look up to me and they realise they can achieve anything they set their minds to. My kids don't really give a shit about what I've done, to be perfectly honest with you. They do give a shit if if I'm not there every weekend, and they just want pancakes with dad, but dad's out doing a three hour run every single Saturday. They will give a shit about that in in ten years time, and. Yeah. Say so they they look at the medals for for about ten minutes after I do something, and then they're just like, right, could we go and get an ice cream now, or can we watch something on TV, or, or do whatever? That's what they they care about, and and I think that's when when we talk about regret, it would be too superficial for me to say I want to live a life of no regret and and do all these things that would make my dad proud and make me proud. It would be a failure and I would be a failure if I got to the end of my days and said, I've got a load of medals and a load of Instagram likes, but my kids aren't talking to me anymore. Then there's so many stories throughout history of of, of children, of people that have done some amazingly extraordinary things, far more extraordinary than, than I've ever done, but they've got terrible relationship with, with their kids or with their family. And, and I think they're in that your that shadow, perhaps, right? Balance. Yeah. You know, exactly. they're, they're, you know, how can you compete? with your dad being Elon Musk. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult Christmas day, isn't it? When you're kind of like, well, how, how's your year being dad? Well, mine, well not as good as yours. <laughs> exactly. So here's, here's, I think, maybe the, the wrap-up question, mm. uh, Freddie. So we're, we're kind of like butting up against this kind of uh, like mindset piece. And, you know, I hear a bit of explorer's mindset. I hear a bit of a dreamer's mindset in you, but also the kind of balance of understanding that you can't just keep running away, right? There, there, there has to be a, a presence to the here and now as well, because that's really what life is. It's finding a way to enjoy the moment. Because mm-hmm. if you can enjoy the moment, every moment, that's a fucking great life versus Absolutely. having a couple of moments a year. Um, but the question was more around you spoke about feeling like an imposter mm. for much of your life and kind of kind of growing into your skin, but feeling like, you know, you're kind of making it up a little bit in your corporate career early days. And you pivoted. Mm. Are you, and this is like, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. I think I know the answer. But if you look at, say, a Brené Brown or a um, Gary V or a Tony Robbins, and they exude, actually Brené doesn't, but the others do, exude confidence. Like, I know exactly what you got to do. Mm. I know exactly how to make it work. 
This is it. You know, they've got certainty, absolute certainty in their plan or their idea. Brenny's different. She goes like, I'm just trying to fucking work this stuff out. And, you know, I struggle a lot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I relate to that. But I look at that and I go, how much of you, Gary, or you, Brené, or you, Tony, feels like an imposter? Mm-hmm. Don't we all feel like imposters? Do you feel like an imposter? In this world that you're entering in where you want to try and coach, guide, counsel people to, you know, live a life they want to live effectively, that's what you're trying to help them do. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that if you don't have the answers... What right are you to start offering some to others? It's a great question. And and yeah, you're right. I, I do feel like an imposter. And I talk about the concept of, of starting at zero. And I think whenever we whenever we embark on a new journey, whether that is, you know, I, I say a new direction to be to be helping people and businesses or you know, a new hobby or a new place or whatever, we, we always feel like we're starting at zero and we always feel like imposters. And, and I certainly do. Um, that's when the negative self-talk comes in when, when you, you're lying in bed late at night and you know, you've, you've done the really funny Instagram video and then you turn the camera off and you sit there and you think, wow, you know, who, am I being stupid? Like who, who in their right mind would listen to me? And then you start to think, well, I'm just kidding myself. You know, I I was foolish to even think I could make this work. And, and all these, these different doubts creep into your mind, like, like shadows in the night. And, and I've struggled with that a lot. I say in, in, in every chapter of my life and, and the way I overcame it and I try and overcome it in every situation. And, I try to do all the things I was supposed to do yet again, like, you know, small steps and learn and get your knowledge and, and build up your confidence that way. I realized that only got me so far. The two things really in terms of the real life that helped me stop feeling like an imposter and start to build my confidence was, was a couple of areas. One, I stopped giving a fuck what everybody thought of me. And, and that was a big battle for me because I'm someone that say, I like to do well in the corporate world. I like to get the medals and win the races and everything. And it's always quite nice to, to have people say, oh, well done, Freddie, great job. I stopped trying to please people. I stopped trying to say the thing that I thought people would like. I stopped trying to be the person that I thought people would appreciate. I just stopped giving a fuck full stop to, without breaking into song. I said, yeah, this is me. And ironically, for someone that doesn't drink anymore, I'd rather be someone's shot of whiskey than everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how powerful that can be when you when you genuinely yeah. stop giving a fuck. And I can't say I'm 100% there because that would be lying. I still have moments of self-doubt. But when you stop giving a fuck, it suddenly gives you so much more freedom and 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 just playfulness as well because all these things can be stressful and so Mark Ronson was right was he I think he was <laughs> and, and I, I read that book a number of times and I think he he was right and I say it, it's about it's doing it in the right way and secondly and because I didn't give a fuck I became less scared of, of failure because it, it's funny you know it's if someone fails in a forest and there's no one around to see them, have they still failed? And, and those sorts of phrases. And and I was so scared of failing. And again, of, of putting myself out there. And if anyone looks through my Instagram two years ago, it was just me running. And there's me saying, hey, everyone, I've done done a run. Do you like that? People, would, All the runners would say, yeah, I like that run. Here, have a like. And I feel good <laughs> about that. But actually, when I started to say about the mental health struggles I've had, about the the times I felt scared, the times when I've really fucked up, that was a huge scary thing. And 
another area that I'm currently doing is, is LinkedIn and all, you know, LinkedIn in the corporate world is all, Hey guys, I got promoted. Everyone says, yeah, well done. And I've been on products. LinkedIn. Yeah. I've been on LinkedIn saying, you know what guys, I really fucked up that time and I'm scared. And here's the time when I was struggling with alcohol and here's the time I felt suicidal. And when you start to become less scared of, of failing and saying, you know what, maybe I will fail. Maybe this whole thing will blow up in my face, but there's one thing that I'm terrified of, of, more than than failing or for having people not like me or not agree with me and that is living in regret and that's what brings us all the way back to the start i would rather try and fail a thousand times i've already failed a thousand times at different things and i'm happy now to fail a thousand more times if i'm not lying there on my final day thinking but what if you tried freddie what if you just mm. given it one shot and and that's why and that's why i that's that poignant dad so, moment right that, that yeah, regret it is. piece right it's, that's where it always comes back and, right. and so that's why i just say this is me I, I don't i don't give a fuck and maybe people will laugh at me and maybe i will fail and it all blow up in my face but i have helped people before i've helped businesses and and the fact that people have, have said to me that i have helped change their lives I've already won. Like I've, I've helped mm. one person change their life. So you know, I'm like, what? What can you do to me, world? How how much can you laugh at me? How much more can you can you say it's not going to work? You're an imposter because I know that I have changed at least. Well, I know I've changed a lot more in one person's life. But just having that that first person yeah. means that anything is possible. And and that's what anyone I think can take away that if I can be where I've been and do what I've done, then anyone can do anything they dream of. There's a couple of things I just wanted to close and key off on that first of all and i mean this politely most people don't give a shit about you <laughs> right exactly like, and 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 i think that's that's that moment of like huh, okay like in in the moment i might get you know some some um engagement someone might go Do you know what that was good like well done or that was inspirational but the reality is everyone's all wrapped up in their own world they don't give yeah. a shit about you what you've done your mistakes like they might laugh at your mistake for a second that's a good bit of you know candid tv but then they're moving mm. on to the next thing everyone's life is their struggle uh, they're not spending time obsessing about your life you what you've done well and what you haven't they're just not um so i think that's number one the second thing uh, and i don't know whether this relates so i haven't actually asked your corporate thing so it was consultancy right was it like a yeah. big one of the big four consultants yeah so things? i worked with that uh, with a couple of the uh, the big four uh, management consultancies right okay and one of the mantras of consultancy, because I, I spent a lot of time working with with consultants, is you don't need to be an SME, like a subject matter expert, like mm -hmm. know everything. You just need to be one day ahead of your customer. Yeah. And I thought, yes, you're right. You're right. Because you just need to know the next thing they need to know. You don't need to know every step ahead of them. You just need to be that just one one page ahead because then you can add value and i thought definitely okay all right so i'm looking at your journey i'm looking at mine i'm looking at many others who want to help people and go like you don't need to be the finished article you don't need to have claimed the victory over all your struggles and that you you've you've worked out everything you know you've got you've got the guidebook for life and there's nothing else you need to know everyone's a work you know work in progress mm. but the fact is you've dedicated your mind your energy your thinking to get in some of these questions answered for yourself. And you've got some answers. They're not all of the answers, but they're more answers than the average person who hasn't given this much time and much thought will have. And therefore you add value. 
And therefore, you're not an imposter. And I'm not talking to you, Fred. I'm talking to us all. But mm. to offer some value to someone else, you're not an imposter. As long as you can add something more than that person already has, then they're winning and you're winning. Totally agree. I think there's uh, that, that striving for perfection halts so many people in their tracks. And they say, I, I can't start yet because I'm not ready. Or they think I need to go from zero to 100 and I'm never going to be perfect. So what's the point in trying? But no, you're absolutely right, Steve. It's about just trying to understand the skills, the capabilities, the experience you need to be one step ahead. And the the most I've learned from people in my life. They haven't always been the experts. They've I've learned the most from people that have fucked up and failed more than mm. I have. And mm. that's been the most knowledgeable moments of my life. I've I've gone to to say to the world's leading experts. I've worked with a number of them in, in so many different fields. And they're so knowledgeable and and more knowledgeable than I could ever hope to be. But did they tell me what I needed to know in the way I needed to hear it? Not all the way. And yeah. I think that we could all learn so much from so many people. And I've and I, I've proudly failed and fucked up more more than many people. And I think that's that's the best way that we learn. Print print a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll sell our hotcakes. Great. Listen, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you for being open, candid, honest, vulnerable with me, uh, and you know, allowing us to back and forth and kind of chew on some some of the fat on this. I, I thought it was riveting. Hopefully, everyone agrees. Um, Freddie close on where to find you and if there's anything people should know sure absolutely so um first it's been an absolute pleasure i've uh, i've really enjoyed it and I've, I've always been a huge fan of this podcast and it's uh, it's blown my expectations away so thank you steve for for all of your insight and uh, and i do love a challenging question or two mm-hmm. so, uh, so you certainly brought that in that's awesome in terms of, of where people can find me uh, the best place is my instagram which is freddie explores f r e d i e explores uh, or my website is freddie m for martin bennett as I say, I do uh, I do a lot of uh, both one to one coaching and and going into still into global businesses to to help people dream big, disrupt disrupt the status quo, and uh, and deliver on their goals. And my book Start at Zero is coming out hopefully in April of oh, this year. Oh, fingers crossed! So if people want to get in touch with you, they'll find a mechanism to do that on your website. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, website or Insta, I'm always there. Lovely, good stuff, Freddie. It's been a true pleasure. Um, I wish you all the best in 2021. I hope um, the sun the sun starts shining for all of us because it has been a mad and painful year. But hey, as you say, you know the, the struggle is everything, and maybe the last 12 months, as painful and hellish as they've been for a lot of us, there's there's something in here which makes us better people. Couldn't say it better myself. I think uh, we've all been through some tough times, but but tough times can't last forever, and, uh, and sunny days are on the way. You're a star, man. I'll speak to you soon, Freddie. Perfect. Have a great one. Cheers, Steve. Bye, all. Whoa, just before you go, I want to know two things from you, if you would be so kind. Firstly, how did you find that episode? Was it insightful? Was it practical? Has it got you thinking about things differently? If so, do us a huge favor, please, and write us up a quick review in your podcast app, whether it be on Apple or Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast platform. And secondly, have you checked out the Be Your Best journey yet? If you haven't, that's cool, but go to adaptnation.io or click the link within the show notes and just take a look around. 
see how we put together the messaging as to the value of this online course and program. And if you've got any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And if you're interested about it, then hey, there's no time like the present. Get involved. It's 100 days of personal growth and self-development. I am sure you're going to get a lot of value from it. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.